0: Well, this morning we come to the final section of the book of Ephesians, and I would say the marvelous book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, we were told of the awe-inspiring truths of God's salvation, His master plan, what He had planned before the foundation of the world, and that is salvation. It's bestowed on us through Christ. In chapters 4 through Chapter 6, verse 9, he explained, Paul explained these truths, and because of the truths, how we should live. The biblical word was how we should walk in them. Because of our new lives in Christ, we have been changed. You have been changed. And he would say if he were here today, walk like it, act like it. And with all of these spiritual riches that we've read about, that we've looked at over and over and over again, and we've seen what Christ has done, you could expect clear sailing, right? Right? No? A bump-free, stress-free life? Hmm. But if you think that way, I'm just going to be really honest with you, that's foolish thinking. When a person accepts Christ, when they come to Christ as their Savior, when His Spirit envelops you, when you, He becomes your Savior and Lord, you're transformed from death to life. You're transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You enter into a spiritual war. It's going to be a constant theme today. I know, I know. Our ancestors, pacifists though they are, they hate war. Brothers and sisters, we are in a war. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we accept that, the better off we will be. And it is a war that includes demons and angels battling over the souls of men. Another way to, to frame it would be it's a cosmic battle that our enemies are not primarily human beings, but spiritual beings of indescribable evil intent. If you can understand that I'm a bit up I'm up today, I'm gonna be a little bit hyped. Enemies never take a day off. And their ultimate goal is to destroy you and all of mankind. That is the ultimate goal. And the only way to fight and win this battle is to put on God's armor. That is the name of our, the title of our sermon today, put on God's armor. And if you do not, this is what you can expect. You'll be rendered ineffective, That's the best thing that you can expect. And you will be defeated. That's what will happen. Well, just who is the spiritual battle against? I'm sure that most of you have heard the statement, the greatest trick that the devil has ever, ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. It's the greatest trick or the great another trick would be he's a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork that comes around at halloween time and then we understand oh, okay yeah we think okay 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 no he's a real being i know that it's no surprise to you that our world that the, our world today is, has the belief that who the Bible calls the devil, that belief is waning. In 2020, George Barna conducted a survey that found that 56% of those polled believed that Satan was not just a myth but was real. All right, 56%. This is a poll that was taken from anybody and everybody. This wasn't something that was taken of Christians. This was taken... Whoever he called, 50, 56% believed that Satan was real. But do you know in that same poll only 51% believed that God was real? That's where we are in our world. I know, it's, I'm getting some looks. You're going, no, I'm, I read that right. I wrote this down correctly. These questions, again, were asked of anyone without narrowing the focus. It didn't matter if you had or do have a religious background. But you might ask, and I, and I dug into it, okay, that's, that's the, okay, don't get offended, that's the great unwashed, and I say that jokingly. What do Christians believe? Well, the results are, are telling. Now, I'm going to read this. This one can be a bit… I have to read it very slowly so you can understand what the numbers are. Four out of ten Christians strongly agreed that Satan Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. In addition, two out of ten Christians said they agree somewhat with that perspective… A minority of Christians indicated that they believe Satan is real by disagreeing with the statement. All right, 25%, 26% of the believed in a biblical view of Satan. 26% of believers. 9% disagreed somewhat. They didn't know what, they didn't understand it, and 8% of the people they didn't even know what to believe, what it's Satan about anyway. They didn't, eh, heard of the name. I have no idea what I believe. A majority of Christians believe that a person can be under the influence of spiritual forces such as demons or evil spirits. They were asked this question Two out of three Christians agreed that such influence is real. Okay, 39% agreed strongly, 25% 25 agree, 25 agreed somewhat while just 3 out of 10 rejected the influence of supernatural forces. The remaining 8%, they stayed the remaining 8%. They didn't know what they believed or what they didn't believe. Now, if you're like me, you're dumbfounded by this. How in the world can a Christian, if they read their Bibles, and that's a big if, How can they not believe in a real Satan or real evil forces? Well, the findings about what a Christian believes about the Bible, I believe, is telling. And again, I hope not to anger anybody, but I'm going to put, when they're Christians, I'm putting them in air quotes. A slight majority of Christians, 55%, strongly agree that the Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches, with another 18% agreeing somewhat. About one out of five either disagree strongly or somewhat disagree with that statement. So, that's about 22% don't agree that the Bible is even relevant, and 5% aren't sure what to believe, then it's no surprise that in our age of relativism, relativism, meaning that there is no absolute truths and ethics or judgments, it's no wonder that people don't have any absolute beliefs. And that's carried over into the Christian church. Speaking of Satan and demons and our enemy, just because a person wants to believe that something isn't true doesn't make it true or doesn't make it false. I don't want to believe that, so it's not real. You can't use the ostrich method. Well, you just believe this because Satan's and demons were a figment of a prior generation's imagination. That's the way they held power over people. They threatened them with Satan. Well, let me quote an influential intellectual meditation expert. Let me say that three times fast. Do you remember the man named Deepak Chopra? He had, ten years ago, he was a real, really hot item because he was very, very f- good friends with Oprah Winfrey. And Oprah, at that time, had a great show. She still has big influence, but she had a big, giant influence back then. And he was a constant, constant guest on her show. And he says this, "'Healthy people do not have any need for Satan.'" Healthy people need to confront their own issues, understand themselves, and move toward the direction of compassion, creativity, understanding, context, insight, inspiration, revelation, and understanding that we are part of an ineffable ministry. So I would say, be done with Satan and confront your own issues." Close quote. So self-help, then, is the answer. Self-help, then, is the nirvana. But I believe that, that and after what Barna concluded, they believe this. They believe that self-help is that, and many so-called Christians believe that. But I know what the Word of God Declares about itself. The Word of God declares in 2 Timothy 3, the last words of Paul the Apostle the Apostle, he wrote this, he wrote this to his, his protege Timothy how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, what I'm saying is this, you can't pick and choose what this book says. You can't look at it and look at when it declares that homosexuality is a sin. You can't pick and choose to say, no, I'm not going to… The Word of God is great, except what it says about that. You can't pick and choose about what it says that all life is sacred, that even the little ones were formed and and God formed you or formed you in your mother's innermost part, your innermost part. You can't pick and choose. The next thing you're going to pick and choose is well, Christ didn't die. He only was a good example. The Word of God is the Word of God. What's the Bible say about evil angels? It doesn't make any arguments for or against them it just declares their existence. It unashamedly declares that they are an unseen foe who Christ defeated at the cross, at the cross, but still operate today and will do so until Jesus comes again in complete victory. And until then, we are called to engage in battle. Out of respect to the Word of God, would you stand with me as I read this morning's passage? It can be found in Ephesians chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, I would invite you to turn in one that should be in front of you. The page number is 979. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. This is the Word of the Lord. to stand firm. May God bless the reading of his word and may we by hearing and following what the word of God declares live lives that are victorious and honor to our savior. Please be seated. Well Paul simply begins with this, he the call to arms. Take up your arms and to order to win any battle any battle you need to be prepared i know this is no surprise but you know that governments spend billions if not trillions of dollars to train their soldiers and prepare them for warfare training that is both physical as well as mental and without preparation A well-schooled enemy can often defeat an opponent that is better supplied but ill-prepared for conflict, meaning for us, no corners should be cut. No easy way out, no corners should be cut. We must be spiritually prepared. We are at war. And because this is so important, I'm just going to take this verse by this this whole passage verse by verse. I know that's what I always do, but this is really really important. And phrase by phrase. You don't believe me. I'm going to start here. Paul writes finally, after all I've said, After all the glorious truths that I've revealed concerning God's master plan, I've saved this for last. Not because it's an afterthought. Not because I have a word count that I have to fill from the publisher. No. It's because it's the greatest threat. The greatest threat. There is something, someone who threatens and seeks to undermine all that we've talked about. Pay close attention. I'm not going to bang on the pulpit, but pay close attention. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, I know that we live in America, and we pride ourselves in self-reliance, do we not? Yeah, we do. That's why being sick in a hospital is so hard, because you pride yourself on self-reliance. And because we live in a country in a time that prides itself on self-reliance, we read this and think, I need to make myself strong. I need to go to the spiritual gym and work out. Have you done your reps today? It's all me, baby. It's all me. It's all me. It's up to me. No. Be strong is written in what is called the passive voice. It means that our strength is provided by someone else. It's not we buck up. It's, no, the Lord provides the strength that you need. It's provided. It's been said that self-reliance and spiritual warfare, warfare is suicidal. Believers do not strengthen themselves. The source of the strength is from the Lord. I read this and it's, it's a good statement. The source of strength of an earthly general comes from his troops. But in the Christian life, the source of of strength comes from the troops, comes comes from, from their general. Let me read that again. But in the Christian life, the source of strength from the troops comes from their general. It's God that provides it. It's the great I Am. It's the warrior king Over the years, and I think I have a couple students in here that can attest to this, I gave graduating seniors a Bible. And most of the time it was a big old giant print ESV. It wasn't giant print, but it was a big ESV where it took a lot of oomph to carry it. And And I would give it to them, but on the front page, I would write an exhortation for them to be faithful. And then I wrote this verse or these verses in the scriptures and their in their Bible. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from, from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will be of good, have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's the Lord your God. Him being with you is what strengthens you. Many people consider King David to be a hero. And he was a great man who had many flaws, but he followed God with all his heart. How did he persevere when he had attacks coming from every direction? Because that man had many, many adversaries, many threats to his life, his life hung by a thread many, many times, not just one time, many times. I'm going to account just a few details from his life. Before he was made king and when his family and families of his men were taken captive, this is when he went off and this is the time when King Saul lost his life. This is before David was king and they went back to Ziklag where they were staying. And Amalekites had taken their whole families every one of their families, all his mighty men, his family, their wives, everything taken, and they were gone. And the men, of course, were distraught. They cried for, they said, half a day. And they wanted to kill David because if something bad happened, we followed you, and now our families are even gone. And when all seemed lost, 1 Samuel 30 says this, And David was greatly distressed. Yeah. For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself. In himself? David strengthened himself in the Lord. In Psalm 18 Verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Verse 31 of Psalm 18, for who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. Verse 39, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. From Psalm 68. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. And finally, from Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle? He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. And the strength that Paul refers to is the strength that he already wrote about in Ephesians 1. Turn back to Ephesians 1, verse 19. He's speaking about the resurrection power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? Everything. Brothers and sisters, that's power. To raise someone from the dead, that is big time power. And you know, when you took Christ, when he became your Savior and Lord, you were raised from death into life? I want to ask you a question. I haven't asked it in a couple months. How big is your God? As I told my kids, He is so big. That was a weird noise. Has He lost any strength since He created the world? Hmm. Has he lost any vigor since he raised Christ from the dead? Because it's almost been 2,000 years, I know I'm older now. I like to take a nap. Have his spiritual muscles gotten weaker? Has he atrophied? No! Your God is still as powerful as when He spoke the world into existence. Your God is still as powerful as when He sent His Son to earth. Your God is still as powerful as when He said, rise again and Jesus rose. That's the strength that He promises us Well, how can we garner this strength, this promised power? That's a good question to ask, right? A modern theologian helps us answer these questions. He says, through prayer, by fasting, by making sure biblical truth forever is flowing through our spiritual veins, through fellowship and encouragement of other Christians, through praise and worship, through pi- by partaking in the Lord's Supper, by being constantly filled and walking in the Spirit. And this, look back at your passage in verse 11 of chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. Now this isn't written in the passive. This is us being commanded, you, Put this on. Now understand, this is a play of words here. We aren't born or born again with that armor on. We, you, and I must consciously put it on ourselves. It is available to all those who call on the name of the Lord. But again, you must put it on. Another truth is this. Once once it's on, don't you ever take it off. Your enemy never sleeps even when you do. Have you noticed when you've had spiritual victories in your life and when you almost, when you tend to let your guard down and you wonder where in the world did that come from. Even when things are going quite well, it's never safe to disrobe. Hear me. Just talking about the armor, just describing the armor, declaring how important the armor is never enough, put it on and leave it on. We'll describe, God willing, next week the separate pieces of the armor, but know that Paul is writing this epistle while he's being chained to a Roman guard. hes I'm sure hes as he's rattling this off, he's looking and saying, okay, yeah, that's going to be a good illustration. I might use that. But you know Paul was even… He was more godly than that. He had Isaiah chapter chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 and Isaiah 59, 15 through 19 in mind, for Yahweh and His Messiah are described as mighty warriors fighting to deliver their people. Yes, brothers and sisters. Your God is a mighty warrior. A.T. Lincoln writes, and I quote, the supernatural armor that God Himself wears has been graciously made available to us. In other words, it is the armor of God, not simply because He gives it, because He wears it. He also writes that it may also be that the imagery of putting on the armor of God is a functional equivalent to putting on the new self, the the new humanity from chapter 4, verse 24. Well, Paul continues with the purpose of putting on the armor. What is the purpose? That you may be able to stand. Not so you can hide, but you can stand that you won't be pushed back, that you stand your ground. You can stand firm and you won't lose any ground that you've been able or God has been able to conquer for you. To stand means to hold your position. Lincoln, again, is helpful. He writes, The decisive victory has already been won by God in Christ, and the task of believers is not to win, but to stand. That is to preserve and maintain what has been won. It is because this victory has been won that believers are involved in a battle at all. Hear that. Let me reread that. It's because because the victory that has been won is the reason that believers are involved in the battle at all. They are in a decisively new situation in contrast to their previous condition described in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where there could be no battle of resistance because we were in total bondage. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. A dead man doesn't fight. But one who's been made alive does. So the call to the readers is to stand against the powers is also a reminder of their liberation from the tyranny of these powers. The major victory has been achieved, but the eschatological tension with its indicative and imperative characteristic of Paul's thought remains. Indicative means a truth. An imperative is a command. Believers must appropriate what has already been gained for them and do so against continuing assaults, and this is not automatic. Indeed, there may be minor defeats along the way. ever had a defeat. Hence the urgency of the imperatives. The writer's focus, however, is not on the possibility of such minor defeats, but on the ability of his readers to make the assured outcome of the overall battle their own by standing and maintaining the ground that has been won, close quote. Stand. Stand. We stand in God's armor against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes is translated from the Greek word methodios, which we get the word methods. His methods, his tactics, his strategies, his secret agendas, they haven't changed since the beginning. They're not having a focus group. They're not holding new new ways to trick believers because he's really good at what he does. And hear me, if you don't know already, take it from me the enemy doesn't stop. If you're following God closely, this is a promise you will be attacked. Well, what are the schemes? Temptation. Those are many, many different ones, especially tailored for the individual. What I'm tempted with won't tempt you at all. And what you're tempted with, I'd look at it and go, why did you fall to that? Accusation. Intimidation division, many other spiritual assaults, not only against the individual believers, but against the church corporately. All his attacks are not named in the sacred writings, but understand there are many and they are many. Put on God's armor so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Well, Satan is a leader but we need to understand the enemies we face. It's a second point. Again, I want to reiterate the severity of the struggle. This is no joke. If I could take each and every one of you today and maybe even shake you by your shoulders... this is no joke. It's a matter of life and death, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. First, it's not always a battle against human opponents. It is a spiritual battle. The human opponents that we that are the mouthpieces, behind them are evil forces. Again, case in point, the decision that the Supreme Court just levied against Roe v.ersus Wade. There are many people who are terribly upset. If you've turned on the news at all, you've seen people who, on both sides, are yelling, screaming, who are ready to go to war and keep, to keep the right to be able to destroy and end the life of a human being in the womb. Ultimately, this isn't a battle against keeping a woman from being able to do what she wants to do with her body. Get a tattoo, I wouldn't do it, but that's up to you. Color your hair, whatever, piercings, those hurt. It's about the babies. This is a spiritual battle that's being fought. Human beings, even some who call themselves Christians, are being swayed by the unseen evil forces to wipe out a generation, those who are made in God's image, because they think the woman has a right to choose. The thief comes to kill and destroy, but Christ came so that we might have life. This might cost us, might have to take a mother in, might need to pay for the medical help, the medical treatment that she might need, might need to adopt. For an un- entire month, speaking about things that are against God's will and way. For an entire month, we've had gay pride. Everywhere we turn. Ultimately, who do you think's behind that? Church, it is ungodly. It's an affront to God who sent his son to die so mankind could be forgiven and to be able to turn from these sins. The battle is much deeper than what's on the surface. And again, Paul's not suggesting that the battles aren't against human opponents and antagonists. The point is this. When we fight them, Satan and his minions are behind their actions. So pray that their eyes are opened, that their hearts are changed. Want a biblical case in point. Jesus and Peter. After Peter had just given the, the statement of his life, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. You didn't have that answer, but God gave it to you. I'm paraphrasing Danny style. God gave that to you, and that only moments later, Christ says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And what did Peter say? The Father didn't give him these words, so be it far from you. No, 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 we're not going there. You are not going to die. And what did Jesus say? But he turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." Even a Christian can be swayed. And the battle, for those of you who are faint of heart, it's an in-your-face struggle. Paul could have chosen a word describing warfare. But instead, he uses a word, Pele, which is face-to-face, mano on mano means to wrestle. For some of you, think about it this way. It's UFC on steroids. It's hard. They want you to fall. They want you to die. Our battle isn't one that uses long-range laser-guided bombs, but it is one in the trenches, hand-to-hand combat, and it requires spiritual weaponry. If not, you, I, we will be defeated. Well, who are these very up-close and personal enemies? Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Rulers are beings that are also called principalities. They're high up. From what we can gather from Scripture, the demons and Satan, Satan is the, the head and the other demons, there are many, many hierarchy, the hierarchy of, of levels. You, I, we have probably never faced Satan himself. He doesn't need; we're we're small potatoes. But rulers, they have some someone or something which they they exercise dominion over. So, they're they're over. They're, we're fighting rulers, rulers of demons. Authorities. Authorities, they demand subordinates. They have other people who who do their bidding. Again, there seems to be a clear hierarchy in the army of evil. Cosmic powers, the world rulers, and these spirits are are head over a certain place or a certain country. Well, how do we know that? Because in the Old Testament, we see this in Daniel 1 and Daniel 10, excuse me. Daniel 10, when Daniel's praying for an answer from God, how do God, what is happening here? And he wants to know what the fate of Israel is going to be. And he prays. And in Daniel 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 10, he says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he, this is an angel, said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, you hear that? It's not talking about an earthly prince. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So, there's a spiritual battle going on. In Daniel's case, for 21 days, he continues, but Michael, that's where Colette and I got our son's name from, one of the chief princes, a good prince, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. He's not talking about the earthly kings. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is four days yet to come. So, cosmic powers are rulers over a certain area. Back to Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 12, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this is just maybe everything thrown into a bag and tied up into a nice little bow. This is the entirety of the whole, whole group of them. Forces that we cannot battle by human means. Only with supernatural weapons, the supernatural weapons that God provides. Well, we've been called to arms. We've been warned of the enemies that we face and now we're given the desired outcome. Church, hear me. For some, you've have heard and you understand the severity and the seriousness of the battle that every Christian faces. Wishing it wasn't so, putting your head in the sand, isn't of any use. You are at war. Peter wrote it this way. He says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're promised elsewhere from the Lord's earthly brother James. He wrote, submit yourself therefore to God Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, how do you resist? Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, you do this by faith. A captain, captain obvious question that I don't want you to answer out loud. Is it easy to live a godly life that glorifies God? I didn't say, is it possible? I said, is it easy? We not only fight the forces of evil, which I can condense down to the devil, we also fight the world. The world is the spirit of the world, which is the irrepressible, it's man's opposition to God's design. It's everything that God isn't. And we also fight the flesh. The flesh is our sinful tendencies to satisfy our bodily desires in a way that God did not design. With all these three things, how do we stand firm? (laughs) Putting on the armor. What I'm saying is There are forces at work that without the Spirit of God working in you, you will fall. But when you have put on the armor of God, you will be able to stand in the evil day. Peter O'Brien explains that the apostle is not only speaking of this present time between the two comings of Jesus, we're speaking of the evil day but is also alerting believers to the dangers of the devil's schemes on critical occasions in this present evil age. Can you name a few? There may appear to be times of reprieve for Christians. We've had that in our nation. We've had a reprieve. But buckle up. I'm here to tell you, times are going to get tough. He continues, they might be, Christians might be lulled into a false sense of security, thinking that the battle is over or that it is not especially difficult. They must always be prepared to put on the full armor of God, for the devil will attack when leaf-expected." when least expected. I'll conclude here. Look me in the eye, please, not down. If you're overwhelmed, don't be. Don't be. The promise is that you will stand. I'll conclude with a story that comes from the Korean War. An enemy forces… As enemy forces advanced, Baker Company was cut off from the rest of their unit. For several hours, no word was heard from them, and they repeat, re, people repeatedly tried to communicate with the missing troops. And finally, a fake signal was received, straining to hear the corpseman ask, Baker Company, Baker Company, do you read me? This is Baker Company, came the reply. What is your situation? Asked the corpsman the enemy is to the east of us, the enemy is to the west of us, the enemy is to the north of us, the enemy is to the south of us. And after a brief pause, the sergeant who was manning the, ra- the radio with determination said, the enemy is not going to get away from us now. Although surrounded and outnumbered, Baker Company were only thinking of victory, not defeat. You are not outnumbered. You have a God who has an unnumberable, innumerable amount of holy angels to come to your defense. You need not fall. Does it always mean that we'll get out of this world alive? No, it does not. But what it does mean is that the world to come, you will be welcomed in with Christ saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Put on the armor of God.